Peace, good people. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Soul Affirmations with Felicia and Kariga. With Kariga and Felicia. And most importantly, with you, the <laughs> listeners. I like that. At sure. this point, we are engaging with our listeners. Folks are commenting online. That's right. Folks are sending in questions in the DM. Yeah. Folks are reviewing. Folks are reviewing. We're getting stars out here. I love it. <laughs> They're sharing it with other listeners. They are. I've had people even reach out to me in my DMs personally about uh, having conversations about angel motherhood and what these episodes have done for them. So we really appreciate any feedback. Like just we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you rating. We appreciate you just taking the time to let us know that you've been listening as well. And Kariga, do you have something that you want to say? Because I'm about to jump into the affirmation. No, I think you could jump into the affirmation, but I just wanted to just contextualize that your feedback gives us the ability to speak to you, to speak to your inquiry, to mm -hmm. speak to what it is you get from the space. So anytime you get feedback, you help guide the process. Oh, thank you for that. Massive love. Yes. And so if you have your soul text, you should have your soul text by now. Yeah. Touch your neighbor. Tell them to grab their soul text with consent. Consent. I'm sorry. Consent. Okay, if I touch you. No. Okay. Well, turn to page thirty-two, and we're gonna open with this, and it reads: "I am a child of answered prayers, and all that I need is within me. Life is happening for me, not to me, and because of this, I will have gratitude in all lessons. Life is happening for me, not to me, and because of this, I will have gratitude in all lessons." Hmm. Yeah, I can rest with that. I can yeah. chill with that a little bit. Yeah. And that's like really where I'm at today. Yeah. I, I really love this one, Riga. I, this reminder that life is happening for me, not to me, is a reminder I need quite often, especially when in in the depths of grief. Mm. You know? Um, it also teaches me how to participate in the life as it is unfolding, even if what I'm experiencing isn't what I plan to experience mm. or is unfavorable in its experience. I can still participate in a way that lends me to know that it's happening for me. I may not see what it is for yet, but it is in fact happening for me. That helps lower the, the anxiousness mm -hmm. of what's happening to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. That question is so hard to answer. Mm -hmm. It has such reach Mm -hmm. The mind races trying to find that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this case, life is happening for me. It gives me some rest assuredness. Mm -hmm. And I may just have to wait to see what's happening for me. Because mm -hmm. right now I can't see it. Mm -hmm. I love it when you break it down. <laughs> I mean, and, and I expect you to be able to do that, right? You wrote this, but this is so profound, so insightful, and has helped me tremendously. I can only imagine the many others that you've touched with your, with wow. your words. Wow. Thank you. Now, today is a special day. We got a, we got a special episode. Yes, in fact, we do. With a special brother. <laughs> Can y'all hear the smile on my face? <laughs> so it's, it's halfway a smile and then halfway that laughter that you shouldn't have on your face when you're in <laughs> class, but you're in class with a friend, so everything is funny. <laughs> today on Soul Affirmations, we have a special guest with us. Mm -hmm. A dear friend, mm -hmm. a colleague, someone who I've done research with, mm. practice with, mm -hmm. service with, mm -hmm. growth, evolution, grief, friendship, and now the maturation to this next chapter. Today on Soul Affirmations, we have Mr. Yusha Asad. Hey. Hey, what's up, family? Hey. What's up, brother? Hey. Know I'm we, we gotta get the little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Claps in the background. <laughs> so, so dope to be here with y'all and to be able to be a part of your podcast and what you offer to the world. And you know, this is family. So, you know, being here is uh, is really a y'all call it a vacation. I was like, it's not a vacation. This is it's family for me. But uh, <laughs> it's all of that and it's love, and I appreciate it so much. We are happy to have Yusha here. He is not a guest in our home. He is family, so he is it's expected family. to do those dishes. Stop it. But he is visiting us <laughs> I did from do them dishes. <laughs> he's visiting us all the way from Washington, DC. Yes. You dig? So if you're listening in DC, just you know, we all here now. It's yeah. a it's a family affair. Yeah. It's one of my favorite relationships, um, Korea and Yusha. There is a, a time frame where these brothers worked side by side together 
on many endeavors. My favorite has been uh, with the music. Wow. Another favorite of mine is in teaching and working with the students in D.C. Wow. Another memory of mine, just, you know, heading out to park, you know, on Thursday nights. <laughs> Shout out to park on Thursdays. I hear Shout out to park on Thursdays. Things are changing. Yes, things are changing, but Primo cannot be stopped. He's still out there. And if, and if we do have to, we have to retire Primo's jersey. <laughs> okay. He was an all-time leading promoter. Uh, pre, Absolutely, man. Lead Absolutely. Here, yeah. Okay. Right. Taking care of folks. But I, I'm going to give you both space to talk here. I know that we, we said we were going to talk about fatherhood. And um, if there's anything that kind of comes up for me, I'm sure I'll, I'll step in, ask questions where it's needed. But I'm so excited to be able to sit here with you all and, and listen to this conversation. These are conversations that we've had several times over. And it's just so awesome, again, you should, to have you here in our home as a brother but also joining us in this space. So blessed to be here for sure. For Thank sure. you much. Fee, I love how you set up the framing mm-hmm. for this brotherhood. It really gave me some moment to kind of sit in the essence of the fact that we're here in this chapter of storytelling with stories that have never been told. Mm-hmm. We've been in some intersections together. Yeah. Hope and hopelessness. Mm. Right. That's where I work together began Mm. we was both teaching in southeast i was at shad you were at heart at heart yeah and then we both went on to teach summer school together at baloo see baloo is what really popped it off for us yeah that was our first time no that was our time first time getting to teach together because everything before that was like theoretical it was like you know conversation of what we had experienced within our classrooms but the, the theory of how we would work together that malcolm and martin opportunity yeah it came full circle at baloo because it was like it was a moment, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was literally like putting Malcolm and Martin in the same room and being like, go. <laughs> Unbelievable reach in real-time practice and pedagogy. Our ability to thrive off of each other's instruction. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the nonverbal things that were happening in the classroom while your brother is teaching. Mm-hmm. Looking at where the learners are, where their posture is, where their spirit is. How to follow up with a agreeing point or a counterpoint that will give visibility to what a young person is experiencing in their body. Mm. When we learn to do that, we had them fully engaged. If I observe that you should deliver the point that particularly struck present with a student, I could then follow up with a point to further strike on that thing. Mm. And they would in fact feel it in that space. Mm. But what was also happening uniquely is that they were designing us mm. as servants as teachers. So when we were in that co-teaching space together in Baloo, that was really like our first time being able to do the work together real time. Mm-hmm. Everything before that was like theoretical. Yeah. Right. It was, it was conversation about how powerful an opportunity uh, for us to work together would be. And Baloo gave us like, was the first glimpse of like, no, nah, this is powerful and possible. It was actually it was like a summer youth employment program. Mm-hmm. And we taught a personal development and a workforce development class. Mm-hmm. So it allowed us to go into personal development, matters of the heart. Mm. What were the emotional things they were dealing with that was obstructing their ability to see their way down hope? What were the real time experiences that were interrupting the way they can engage with opportunity? And through this work, they were also designing us. We were learning so much about what is hope materialized. What are the interrupters of hope? How do we then design systems that disrupt hopelessness? What would this work look like? What would this approach look like? I used to love when we used to teach together, we'd have the opportunity to follow up on each other's practice. For example, Yusha could be delivering instruction and I watch him hit a point that touches a young person. And you can watch by seeing body language, engagement or otherwise disengaged. Mm-hmm. And I can follow up with a point after he said what he said Mm -hmm. that would further create visibility for that young person. When they are seen visible in that space in their whole self, it aids in belongingness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just about to say. And the more each young person feels like they belong to the space, Mm -hmm. they are now invested in the space. Mm -hmm. 
and we can design instruction that reflects what they need mm-hmm. because they were able to show up as their full selves. And this was where Yusha was really outstanding in developing scope and sequences mm-hmm. of where we would go. Mm-hmm. And together we could make it alive. Mm-hmm. Right? So it go from a, a plan mm-hmm. to this real life actionable space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And from it, usually we wrote several songs together. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When you talked about how that particular space uncovered us, that's the one thing I definitely remember that came out of that was so many different concepts, right, that we were able to take to another level, right? I might say something that was, you know, data-based and, you know, was, was some kind of topic on some kind of metaphor. You would take that same metaphor and put a touch on it that that really helped the students connect to it emotionally, what I call emotional equity, emotional buy-in. And then those concepts became songs. You know, they became, you know, things that, that you know, moved into our art, into the art space. Yeah, that was a, an incredible time. I don't even know how that managed to happen because I think typically those classes had one instructor. I You did it. You orchestrated it, but I don't remember how. Because <laughs> oh. I was supposed to be at another school that summer. You, and However you worked it out, we ended up, we both ended up at Baloo for that summer. That was amazing. That was amazing. Well, I can attest to the music side of it. And mm-hmm. I actually remember being in a classroom with both of you at Baloo one summer where I was just kind of playing with the keys just a little bit. What did you just say? Playing with the keys just a little bit. This is, we're not going to let that happen on air. Just right. a little bit. No. No, just no. a little bit. Felicia <laughs> at the time was the most skilled pianist within reach. <laughs> she had just finished an undergraduate degree in music education, education and played piano. Well, so one of the summers Thank you. at Baloo, when I was just fiddling, <laughs> Yusha comes over and he starts putting together a medley to what I was playing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he he did this twice and I'm going to I'm going to name both of the songs here. One of them is Troubled Soul and the other one is Soul's Destination. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite collaborations. Wow. I guess between the three of us. Yep. That's actually how it goes. Other than um what's the first one? Troubled Soul? Fly Away. Fly, Fly away. away. You're right. OMG. In the basement at Tulip. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But I was on Fly Away too. I was on Harmonies. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I said. That's one uh, of our, that is our collaboration. That's actually, <laughs> yeah, that's so, really wow, Fee. I, I wanted to bring that into the, the space because that is evidence of what you both are talking about right now and um, the medium that you used to reach your students. I don't know if you guys want to talk more about those lyrics or not. I just kind of set that up there, and we don't have to right now. In fact, like before we even do that. Because I know we're gonna we're gonna be here for a while. I just want to take a minute uh-huh. to let the people know who are listening about the project. Since we are talking about music that is out right now, focusing on Black fatherhood, right? Black fatherhood. Anything talking about Black fatherhood, I'm with it. So I think we should definitely take a second to hear about what our friends at Shea Moisture Men are doing. Okay, so Shea Moisture Men have this father's lullaby uh-huh. happening right now. It's actually called A Light Inside of You, and it's the medium that they're using to elevate Black Dad Joy. Shea Moisture Men is committed to celebrating dads daily. As a part of lifting their voices, we created a father's lullaby called Light Inside of You. This lullaby is for us, by us. It is our way of creating our own generational tradition to be passed down father to father. We want to share the voice of love, tenderness, and joy and hope that black dads already share with their babies and with the entire world. Let's normalize and celebrate black love in the form of a father's lullaby, our story, our song. The world needs to see and hear the love of black fathers. Go to shamoisture.com slash men or Shea Moisture Men on IG and listen to a father's lullaby and then challenge a black dad to share his story, his song, by singing the lullaby to his babies and posting it by using the hashtag a father's lullaby. Honestly, Fee, I think that's pretty dope. And I really appreciate the way that space is being made to tell stories about black fatherhood, especially as it concerns moisture and our wellness. Mm-hmm. No, but seriously, though, like you don't want to, they're taking time to make room for why black fatherhood is integral 
And I think that's important. So I want all y'all to head on over to SheaMoisture.com slash men and take a look at what they're doing with black fatherhood and how you can be uh, included and represented. Okay. Now back into this music that we were talking about between you all. And this type of black fatherhood. The real reason why I brought it up is because I've been ashy before in my work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if, so we're going to keep it real or not? No, I said, we, let's we keep to, it real. My way. brother, all the way. this brother has been ashy. Because sometimes in the work of being an educator, you are designed to put the needs of everybody else first. You ain't lying, Always. man. The system designs itself that it is perceived that you are effective the more selfless you are insofar as you're putting others first. But the issue in that is there's no sustainability without wellness for yourself. Mm. And that's why we find so many education spaces are having to reexamine the messages around achievement because there is teacher burnout, Mm -hmm. principal burnout, Mm -hmm. dean burnout, you name it. Everybody within the system is burned out and that can leave you ashy. (laughs) These are the facts. Now, I'm saying it like that because I think uh, my, my, my bond with Yusha serves as a a wellspring mm. of life, of love, feeling hydrated, if you will. Mm-hmm. There's a certain waters that run through him that only he carries. I see it across my bonds. He he carries, he represents a certain type of water. Uh, you hear it in his voice and the music. Mm-hmm. You see it in his demeanor and his spirit. Mm-hmm. So with all those things added value, I really appreciate the way he represents a, a wellspring in my life. Absolutely. That's with you saying that I want to talk about, you know, one of the first times that we got a chance to kick it. So we had met at the, uh, at the event, um, for the organization that we work for. Um, but then you pulled up on me on, on second street, Northeast, uh, right in front of, uh, my ex's mother's house. Uh-huh. And uh, we got a chance to just kick it for the first time and really talk, you know, about brothers, like what our plans are, what we want to do. And I think what it did for me was it allowed me to, if I'm being completely honest, right, completely honest and vulnerable. It was the first time that I didn't feel alone. Right. It was the first time that I had met another brother who conceptualized and saw the world the way that I did. Right. With this opportunity for possibility with this real intentional need for service and love in our community, especially as it related to black boys. That was the first time I had encountered that because for me in most spaces that I moved in, I was isolated a lot of times in those thoughts just because of the depth, the depth of thinking, the depth of heart, the the work that it actually took to get there. And even some, some of the emotional work around being able to live in those trauma spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were the first person that I first brother that I had met who shared that same concern. That was a sense of belongingness for me because it was like, yo, I ain't, I ain't by myself. Wow. Mm. I'll speak to that being a manifestation of the love I believe in and the love I practice. Love shows us that we aren't a singular being having this experience separate from all humanity. But the ideas that isolate us inside our head reinforce that this is lonely or this is alone. Right. And we honor time to be alone. But. What I've learned in grief is that when you believe that it's only happening to you, you have no reference Mm. and reference helps us calibrate our steps, decisions, outcomes, consequences, just helping us see a more large experience rather than just our own. And that is to the deficit of organizations, institutions that would have black public servants leaders, teachers, or otherwise feel alone, right? So there is power in our belongingness and our connectedness, but you and I were sharing a similar experience at the time, teaching in DC Mm -hmm. and needed one another in a way that no institution, no workplace was supporting, right? Mm -hmm. We were both in grad school at the time, two different institutions, right? Right. You were at American? Correct. Okay, and I was at uh, George Mason, Mm -hmm. right? Both teaching in Southeast DC. But what we also found was... um, In the scope of these conversations, organizations, institutions had a habit of mind to tell us that we could not control what was happening outside of our classroom. Right. But the difference, the difference between us and many others is that what was happening outside of our classrooms is still very much happening to us. 
by way of proximity. We weren't separate from our students in that way. We weren't separate from our community in that way. Right. You did. Right. So what it required was for us to be able to see ourselves and our young people. And when I found out that that was the lens of love you were using to teach, that you saw your young people as extensions of yourself and not somebody else's kids. I knew that I had found brotherhood. Mm. Right. We did. We didn't walk into those situations. Well, I, I don't want what I walked into the situation saying was from Winston-Salem State University, which was my undergrad program. I was a business major. Right. So how did I end up in education? It was because I had got a, a glimpse of the world in a sense and what especially with the corporate world at that time was focused on. And I knew for me, I needed to do something that was more connected to what was purposeful for me, right? I, I need a word that was purposeful for me. And uh, when I seen the opportunity to go into this teaching program, it's like, you know, yo, let me go do for some young person what somebody did for me. I wasn't supposed to be in school. Like that wasn't a path for me. You know, even even to this day, there's a whole story about how I got to college mm-hmm. and being able to read some of those books and being able to learn some of the truth that I learned in college and even the relationships and, and connections that I had was was like, yo, there are young people who need opportunity, exposure, knowledge. Like they need this information, um, especially because I knew that there was information that was available for, you know, young African-American boys and girls that the curriculum doesn't include uh-huh. things that could be freeing for us, things that uh-huh. could could elevate the consciousness of, 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 of a young person that could really help them see what opportunity could look like and what things they should be trying to you know, bypass or not get caught up in. Yeah. But th- these things weren't a part of the American educational systems curriculum. And I knew that it was going to be, you know, if, if we were going to have long term generational change, then we had to get to the people who were still very impressionable, those who were still malleable. And that mm-hmm. was the youth. Absolutely. And we did this through extended hours of service within the schools. So not only did we teach in the capacities that we taught in, but we also volunteered. Right. Because we know that presence is profound. So we spend extended time with the young people to build relationships that say you belong here. I understand you outside the classroom, even if you may not fully understand what's happening inside the classroom. Your life has value to me. What's important to you, your art, your culture, your music. Those things are all important to me. And I want to know more about you through sharing this lens. Now. This is 20 something year old. Yusha and Kariga talking. Right. And I didn't realize that the students were shaping my my heart in such a way of understanding what love looked like without the need to possess someone, possess something. Right. How do I love it without having to own it? How can I admire you? So we didn't want to set up classrooms that were based on as I called adult supremacy, right? Or control, or yeah. absolute control. Control, because it makes me feel more comfortable when I have you in control. But that wouldn't be a space that they were willing to show up in long term. So we had to co-create a space of belonging and voice and agency. And we did this often through music as well, right? We were doing social emotional learning before they wanted to call it social emotional. Matter of fact, I was doing social emotional learning when they called it a you a waste of instructional time. How about that? I vividly remember that. I vividly remember being dinged for building classroom culture that was going to help us learn. Speaking of helping us learn, I want to reintroduce the guests. I told you that we have a dear friend, a dear brother in here, but Yusha, this must have been like 2014, 2013. When? When you received the highest scores in the District of Columbia for math teaching. 2013. High scores and and growth. High scores and growth. Yeah. That's amazing. And we was really in spaces where truancy was high and repeat. But the way that you cared for our young people, the way you saw them as extensions of us, not somebody else's kids. I have to defer back and contextualize that at that time you were a father. Yeah, I had not yet experienced fatherhood. Now that I'm experiencing fatherhood, I wonder how that influenced the way you loved the young people and created the conditions for them to achieve their best outcomes. And I just want to make room for that. 
that in your 20s, you were teaching, leading, coaching, volunteering, and having the, the life calling journey of fatherhood. And I just want to take a second to acknowledge that, mm. to make room for that. Now that I'm on this side of the experience, I just got to commend you, man. That was an Im- immense amount of giving. And, it, and really, really, I admire you. And I love you for that. And congratulations. <laughs> All right, it's, it's still so much space and time just to say congratulations. And I'm happy for you. Uh, and Felicia, I'm happy for your entire family. Y'all have gained, a, um, you know, a, another piece to your, your generational um, growth. And yeah, brother. Yeah. You know, we like you said, we were young. We were in our 20s. Like, you know, my daughter was born, I think, right as I turned 23. Wow. From Reedsville, North Carolina, you know, and in my mind, I had somewhat made it, but you know, I think what the young people were teaching me was that I still had so much more to learn. And there was always this, uh, you know, I would learn something working with the young people in our classroom that would make me a better father. And then I would learn something from my daughter that would then make me a better teacher. And it was always mm. this, this. There was never an opportunity where I wasn't learning mm. from the young people. Right. So you would say, oh, you're a teacher. You're teaching the young people. Oh, no, they're teaching me. Mm-hmm. They're teaching me how to love. Mm-hmm. They're teaching me patience. Yes. Um, they're teaching me endurance. Certainly. You know, because some days walking in that classroom is like you're showing up to love someone, but because they're not in the posture because of what they've been through, they're not a, a, in a place to receive. My analogy was sometimes you walk in, it's like you're trying to give a hug to somebody who's punching you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Right. It's, it's, young, do you not see this hug? I don't care. Yeah. I'm punching you in the face. Don't touch me. And that teaches you that the love that you have for young people has to extend beyond what you want them to feel Uh, or what you want them to do. It has to extend beyond that. You have to begin to accept who they are and love them where they are. Be willing to plant seeds and, and, and opportunities of possibility into their heart and their spirit, but love them even if they don't move to those possibilities as fast as you would like them to. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. Because to love them when they are experiencing adversity, when they're experiencing trauma, and they want to know if you can love this part of me too. Mm. Because this part of me is a real part of me that I have to use in a survival mechanism far different than this world you can imagine. Right? And when I went to the neighborhoods, when I went to Congress Heights, when I went to Simple City, when I went to Lincoln Heights, I saw that they were existing in these dualities. Mm. And it made me show up to be love, unrelenting. I was as willing to love as the circumstance that were willing to oppose the love. I was going to be that consistent so that you know that there is love in this space for whatever day you're available. Right. And this became, this would download new understandings to us, new songs, new lyrics. Cause if, cause if you think you're willing to love somebody who's not really ready to accept your love, you haven't seen endurance, right? There is nothing like the choice of love, even when seemingly the person is not willing to receive it yet or is not receiving it in the way you would like. But the truth of the matter, every time we represent love, they're having that encounter until it codes for them that this is love from this person. Mm. But I think those experiences have taught me in this journey of fatherhood that loving you, Kamayu, loving you, Kamali, isn't based on how well you are doing what I imagine for you to do, right? Or what I want you to do. The other day, Kamali was crying. And I always tell her, I'm curious. I think you're doing a great job at trying to express yourself. Can you be patient with me as I'm learning you and you're learning me? Now, I say these words now because I've seen parenting on enough spectrums to know that some days we won't have the answers. Right. I've taught enough students and been to enough parent teacher conferences 
and have been uncles in rooms and godfather in rooms to know that parents don't always have answers. So I am conditioning myself to be curious, not to always have the answer, but to be curious, willing to seek the answer. My young people definitely taught me that. I also just want to take a second to acknowledge that after a decade of showing up for young people consistently and you begin to hold value in their personal life and their personal regard, and now you know their family and their siblings, many of them express great grief and brokenheartedness when they saw what Felicia and I experienced with Kamayu. It was amazing that they had turned to an age where they can see life experiences. And because the love that Felicia and I, and I say Felicia and I, because you remember, new young educator, newly married. So a lot of my hours at the workplace were afforded by a partner who was understanding. Right. And then willing to also add value to the workspace, as you heard Felicia mention earlier. Right. She would show up. She was, she was a part of that. She was a part of that. The, those young people's experience as well. She would come and add the medicine and music, right? Right. And we play and perform and hold space. But I really have to acknowledge that as a young educator, Felicia lending so much to what made me available, the young people had great love and respect and cherished her as well because they saw somebody from outside of their school system Love them the way I told them they were worthy of being loved. Mm, And this would make it consistent for them that I wasn't just loving them because it was my job and I was trying to have a smooth classroom. But the love that I said that you were deserving of, here's somebody who's not attached to this classroom, who's willing to love you in the ways that I say you're worthy of. When Felicia and I experienced our loss with Kamayu, many of them reached out and spoke about how much they they believe that we deserve to be parents for the ways that we showed up for them. Now, I'm not bringing this up as a compliment to myself, but if you knew where we was in the trenches and what they said about their emotional perceptions and ability and or disabilities, right? Don't forget my master's in special education. And and we know disability is really disability. That's Troy. That's Troy. T-Roy, right? Mm-hmm. Walking with this ability. One of our stu- one of my students s- turned disability to walking with this ability, right? T-H-I-S, this ability. And he gave us such a new lens to see how he was seeing the world. But with this being said, my young people, our young people were my first mentors in grief. The amount of losses you and I took from our classrooms year after year from our schools year after year, they were giving me the nuances I needed to navigate life in this way. But the loss Felicia and I experienced on the way to Kamali had no reference, but I found it very profound and comforting in a unique way that the young people who knew us as a newlywed couple believed in us and says, man, of many people I've known, you all deserve to be parents. And I would share with them, as much as it hurts me that my child isn't here, trust me, we're still parents. Yeah. I so admire the posture that you all took in the midst of your grief, in the midst of of what that feels like, right? I would never be able to say, oh, I I understand. I don't. You know, all I can do is offer what I I offered as a brother, an ear, a heart, love. But the posture that y'all took to still be able to say, no, we are parents. You know, we are celebrating the life that we brought here. We're, we're keeping her a part of our family. We're celebrating her ability now to care for us and love us and grow us through this situation. That was a very, um, I think, a very brave posture to take um, because you allowed and in, in a sense, you allowed your story of your daughter. You allowed the 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 pain of your daughter to be something that um, was public. Mm. Right. And. I think in doing that, right, you you open yourself up to the opportunity for whatever, right, could necessarily come that way. But I think God covered you and, and kept y'all in the way mm-hmm. um, because what what came was was one love, an outpouring of love from others. And I think what's what's coming and what is still coming is that y'all, by taking that posture, have an incredible opportunity. And we talked about this this morning at breakfast to show people who are dealing with difficulty 
how powerful it can be to be vulnerable in that space, right? Mm-hmm. To really deal with that space, how to cope and build in that space. And then ultimately, you're showing people how grace works in that space, right? Mm-hmm. How to go from, you know, this particular loss to maintain, to still maintain the love and use the love and, and understand that love is in that grief as well, but mm-hmm. how that can bring you back. And as y'all move into the space you are, you are now with Kamali, there's there's still more, right? It's like you saw what we went through. You know the story of what we went through. Now we're blessed with Kamali. We're blessed with uh, uh, this child. But watch the grace and how love takes us into new spaces. People watching that is going to be so powerful because many people get into those difficult moments and never leave. Right mm. now, they have proof. They have an example. They have evidence that love and grace can help you get back to a place. Mm. Right, and I say back to a place, but it's is I know you enough to know that it's a new place too. Everything is forward. Right, I think uh, Sankofa. Right, that's when we go back to get it, but. Time new to move on since the beginning. Hmm. So I'm into a new land right now. I'm into a new land of grace and love. Hmm. It's a new voice. It has new reach. And the love is real. And the love is now growing and multiplying as Felicia and I are navigating what it means to have a newborn in the family Mm -hmm. and making room for that. And I think that the work that preceded this journey on fatherhood makes me remember that to be effective in the role of fatherhood, yes, I will put my family first, but I have to honor my wellness Mm. and putting them first because that's the only thing that's going to allow me to show up as my full self for them. Right. And I think we're in a new conversation around wellness and black men and fatherhood and the pressures we experience and the ways we need to create spaces as such, conversations as such, check-ins as such, so that we can like unearth some of those things that we kind of just carried around, right? Yeah. Earlier this year and last year, you brought me to a space called the Heal Me campaign. Right. Correct? Correct. This was, The Heal Me campaign was a space, as I observed it, It was a conversation happening online in which you were talking to black men around identity, around wellness, around grief, around learning, around loss. And when you brought me to that space, it connected me to fathers who I had not known, Hmm. who experienced loss somewhere in their journey. And it built this community of connectedness. So I really want to thank you for honoring the labor of love to hold that safe space for brothers. You know, you're welcome. And I also want to say thank you for coming because I I know when I asked you to come last year, you were still in a space where you weren't quite sure if you wanted to be visible. You were still sitting in how, right? Not only how to hold your own grief, but how to hold space for your wife. Yep. Um, And you came anyway. And uh, it was an incredible conversation. Much like the, you know, every time we get a chance to talk and build, and I think it was so powerful. And, you know, that conversation, that, that Heal Me campaign came out of the idea that directly or inadvertently, right, we had learned some coping mechanisms as men that wasn't helping us be better fathers. It mm-hmm. wasn't helping us be better leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And so even for, for me, right, even the identity of being a healed black man didn't start from the idea of I want to be healed. It started from the idea of I want to be a better leader. I want to be a better father. I want to potentially be a really great husband. What does that look like? Oh, there's some healing that got to take place because you've wow. dealt with, coped with, processed some, some things wow. that that are not allowing you, even subconsciously, because consciously we can practice, oh, black man is God. We can practice but it's the subconscious agreements that I have had to make with myself to survive black malehood in America yeah. that are troubling the, the, the consciousness uh, and creating almost a duality in a sense. 
And that's where that particular project came from. But I think that's where a lot of healing for black men comes from is, you know, even you, you know, going through what you went through, you had to figure out how to do that and be a leader, a husband. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a posture you got to carry and there's healing that, that takes place to get us there. It's unique. What called you to the space of being pursuing your healing and what called me to the space of pursuing my healing as you name leadership, that's something I'm going to have to learn how to stand in mm. again. And let me be very clear for our conversation for the listeners. There are some elements of being a father, being a husband, being a person, being a black man in this world that I haven't occupied, I felt like in a while. Mm. Respectfully, I haven't felt like I've had grace and love, but I haven't had very many wins in a while. So I might have to remember and learn how to win again. Mm. My leadership hasn't felt much like leadership. It felt more like covering. Mm. So I didn't think of myself in any leader form, not in my house, my family, or in the world. It was covering for my family. It was covering for my wife. It was covering for my child that turned into a leadership voice though at the time I felt no leadership so I'm just saying out loud to you for accountability that there's some things I'm going to have to remember that are a part of me I've led schools for years I've led people and organizations for years my grief I I didn't remember any of that I love that because you say I wasn't thinking about necessarily leadership I was thinking about covering them me thinking about leadership is what led me to healing because I realized that I needed to do a better job of covering. Ooh. Right. Especially. And what I, what I learned, what I really learned is that as a man, right. Six, five, two thirty, as a man, I did a really good job of covering even the women in my family. Right. Physically. Oh, you would feel physically safe. Right. Mm. But was I well enough Was I in touch with my own emotions enough and expressive enough to know what it looked like to cover your emotional wellness? I can make you physically safe. Was I doing a really good job of keeping you emotionally safe? The depths, the paramounts, the dualities that we're climbing around the way we perceive safety and what safety is. Right. And knowing that our emotional safety is going to perceive the need of anything else. Right. Um, Because. The women in our life are fully functional, capable and able beings, right? Who aren't always looking for protection. Right. Right. And so many of us, many men can miss the mark on what safety looks like because they're taught about protection. Right. But as you said, no, I wanted to pursue my healing so I could cover better so I could be emotionally available, provide that type of safety. And I want to just acknowledge that you have a daughter, Gianna. Mm hmm. Gianna and I share the same birthday. You're her godfather. I'm her godfather. It's made us close all this time. I have daughters and it's helped me reimagine what safety is for our daughters. Mm. Right. I get this whole conversation and you see it in movies all the time. I love to think of bad boy because it became a skit that everybody lived by and thought was funny. And we want to recreate for some proms. Right. Right. Boys coming. Right. Here's dad, you know, just came up off the bench. Right. Show up. Show up. Bottle of liquor. You know what I'm saying? Pistols. Let you know I'm I'm with all the activities. Don't play with mine. Right. But I also know this deeply. The safety that she needs. Yes, there's physical safety I must provide. Right. right. But the safety that she needs to fully grow into her fullest self is the emotional safety. That innate nature inside of her teaching her to trust that gut, that intuition, teaching her to know that that is your first response and it is yours and is your power and your agency. And then how I show up for you in the world when I watch you make those decisions for yourself, that's the best type of safety right now that I can perceive because mm. I need you to be an active participant in your wellness and I need to be designing a world that makes room for your voice, right? As your father, as a black man, I need to be concerning myself with the way women's voice are heard in this world 
so that when you're no longer my baby girl and you are a woman, your voice is heard and respected in a way that informs you being able to trust your voice, your gut, your intuition, right? So for me, safety for my daughters looks totally different than safety they produced in movies. Bro, one of the best educational experiences I've had with Gianna. And this is why it's important for black men to heal. This is why it's important. You just said it, right? It's important for black men to heal. What does healing look like? It, it, it really looks like black men beginning to trust them, themselves, to trust themselves, to trust who they are, to trust the inner voice, right? That inner spirit that's connected to the most high, getting quiet, getting outside of their head and listening to that, being still. The reason why this is so powerful, because one of the best educational experiences I've had with Gianna was her asking me a question about something. Dad, what should I do? And me looking back at her and saying, OK, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get quiet. I want you to ask yourself that question. Pose that question directly to your own spirit. What should I do? And don't open your mouth. Just say it to yourself internally. And she did it. And after about 30 seconds, I asked, her, I said, what was the dominating what was the dominating voice? Because there's multiple thoughts in your head. There's multiple ideas. What was the dominating voice in your head? And she gave me her answer. And I said, now, does that feel right for you? She says, that feels absolutely right for me. I said, now, that is the best decision-making process you will ever have in your life. Trusting mm. and listening to your own voice. And that was beautiful for me because mm. I've always told her, you're, you're not my child to control. You're a spirit. You're an entity who was sent here from the most high to fulfill what he sent you here for. I'm only here to guide you. If I think that I'm here to control you, then I've lost my way. Mm. That was powerful for me because for the first time, I got an opportunity to turn her inward mm -hmm. to herself mm -hmm. so she could begin to trust her own voice versus mm. me always trying to be her voice. I and heard from that. Love doesn't look like control. It don't. And I was only able to do it because I had to start working on my healing and what it looked like to trust my voice. Ah. You know what I mean? Ah. So we see that the pursuit of healing was making way uh, for you to hear different mm. and for you to show up different for yourself and for the people who mean most to you, right? Your daughter. So there is this correlation between our ability to cover, be involved, that's directly connected to our wellness. We will not achieve wellness by ignoring our needs. Anecdote, selflessness, selflessness isn't the tendency to think less of yourself, right? It's to think of yourself less, mm. right? But not thinking less of yourself. So you're deserving of wellness. You're deserving of this thing, but you're not centering it on me, 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 me. I want to think about Kamali. I couldn't stop thinking about Kamali and Kamayu if I tried, right? right? They're always on my mind. It means that they're going to need dad to set up some systems for himself that allow him to be well for us so he can be present for us. This being my desire, conversations like this help me reflect on my practice. It helps remember how many people have guided and influenced my practice to understand and listen mm. and to be present and to love our children. It makes me think of the ways I show up for Felicia and ultimately like in this idea of father's day, I recognize that there is acknowledgement for your hard work feels good. No matter what type of human being you are. Right. But I particularly appreciate this opportunity to reflect on the gift that is called fatherhood with you. This celebrates it for me intimately and deeply for the years of wisdom that you hold for the sacrifices I watched you make on behalf of Gianna, your family and yourself, your relearning and rededication, how to do that in a way that's sustainable. That's beautiful to me, man. And I'm so grateful that we've shared so many intersections together, teaching, leading service, making music, touching the world through music, grief, loss. We shared all these chapters and now we get to share joy. There's so much joy in this house too. There's so much joy in this house. <laughs> and I hope that the listeners experienced a little bit of joy 
a little bit of love, a little bit of spark, a little bit of insight, learning from two master educators, fathers, black men, and black fathers, brothers, brothers, fathers to black girls. That requires us to show up absolutely different and requires us to have loving and accountable conversations with brothers. Because right, I got to shape the world that our daughters deserve to inherit. I thank you all for tuning in and listening to Soul Affirmations with Kariga, Felicia, and Yusha. If you enjoy this episode, please do let us know. Give us feedback. Be sure to rate, review, and follow this podcast. Let us know. Yusha, how can folks find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, Yusha Asad Music uh, on IG, um, which is Y-U-S-H-A-A-S-S-A-D, music spell regular. Um, you can also just go to YushaAsad.com. And if you want to find more about what I do, you can follow or go to WithGreatCare.com, with great care. And everything I do is connected to that, um, including the Heal Me campaign. That's directly connected to my IG page. But those those videos, those concepts are up, you know, for you to go review. And, and, you know, they're really helpful for people. I thank you all so much for having me here, not only on your podcast, but having me in your house. We know how long it's been since I've been able to, to come out to Cali and really spend time with y'all as a family. And it's only God sent uh, that this will be the time because, you know, I didn't know that you guys were having Kamali when when I first booked my flight. Like a lot of people, right? A lot of people didn't know we were having Kamali and we share the reason for that, right? Right. The, the joy in learning the process. So I thank you for being here. I thank you for adding value. I think the listeners out there who made room for us to have this conversation for two black fathers, educators, right? To have this conversation. And I thank the Black Love Podcast Network for holding space uh, for these types of conversations to happen because of all those years we were teaching together there was no spaces really to tell the stories, right? This is why we wrote the songs we did. Right. Uh, but now we have new spaces to tell story and add representation. So massive love to all the listeners. You are listening to Soul Affirmations with Felicia Kariga. Special guest today, Yusha Asad on the Black Love Podcast Network. I want to give you this affirmation as we part. Page 60, if you have your text. Page 60 reads, be patient with yourself. It takes time and deep breathing to see the bigger picture. Massive love, y'all. Be patient with yourself. <laughs>